So last week, our sermon was about liberty. It was about freedom as Christians to do or not do the things that are related specifically to the Old Testament law, but also to anything that is not spelled out in Scripture as a sin or as a command. So we have liberty as believers to act, to glorify God with our own conscience, with the Holy Spirit guiding and prompting us. And Paul said, don't judge each other for what you may see as a liberty that someone else is following. So this principle really should guide us in our love for our brothers and sisters in church, especially those who are newer followers or newer believers. And that's, that's the crux of Paul's message is if something you're doing may be a struggle for a new believer to see and think, oh, I can do that too, and they're going to fall back into sin, then don't do that. Be willing to give that up. Well, today we're in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, and Paul continues this idea of liberty as it relates to the rights of those who are in ministry and the right to be adequately paid. Paul gives a clear argument with six reasons why he is entitled to be compensated. And there's also an underlying warning for those in ministry, really, to question whether they believe they've been called to serve God or whether they simply feel entitled to a position and to be paid for that. And just to be perfectly clear, I am not preaching this passage asking for a raise. I'm not asking for more money. We go through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, and God decides when and where things happen. Um, I want to preach and teach even the things that are less comfortable sometimes to preach, sometimes the harder passages. So that's why we're where we are today if you're new to us. So we're continuing a series from 1 Corinthians, and it's called Living in Light of Eternity. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church in the city of Corinth, and they had some serious problems that they're dealing with, problems like sexual morality, problems in marriage and in singleness, problems about how they should use their spiritual gifts, and then a real need to do things out of love, not out of feeling compelled or out of guilt. And then at the end of the book, Paul gives an encouraging theology about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the future resurrection of all believers. And this is something that should make us live each day in light of eternity, thinking about where we're going to spend eternity. Am I going to be separated from God forever by my sin? God preaches and teaches in his word that there is a literal, literal place called hell, and that is, was created for Satan and the demons. But the Bible also says that whoever does not believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that is their destiny. But God loved the world so much that he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sin, to offer eternal life to all who would believe. So if we are believers, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, and we're going to spend eternity in heaven, how should we be living today? Should that affect what, the way we think, the way we live, the way we act? The city of Corinth was a seaport in the Roman trade route, and it had a reputation for, like most other big cities, immorality, but also diversity. And there's also corruption that goes along with politics. 
It's kind of like our culture today. So as we're reading this letter to a group of Christians a long time ago, we can see principles that apply to us as believers, but first we need to understand what it meant to them in their day. That's how we read God's word. We say, what was the original meaning, and then what are principles that I can apply to me, if there are any? So before we read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for veterans who have served our country faithfully, men and women who are willing to go overseas or even staying here in the United States, willing to make the ultimate sacrifice of laying down their lives for their fellow countrymen, and also for protecting freedom around the world, Lord. I just thank you and pray that you would bless those that have served us. Lord, as we read your word this morning, I pray that you would give us open ears that your spirit would open our eyes to see the things that we need to see, that we could see ourselves in the words of Scripture, and we could see where we need to respond, whether that's in trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior or making changes in the way we think, the way we act, and the way we live. Lord, help us to be not only hearers of the word, but to be doers. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can follow along on screen or in the Bible in front of you. Before we even start, what are the first two words? Am I? What have the first two words been the last couple of messages? Look back to the previous chapter. Now concerning, now concerning, now concerning. Those were all answers to questions. Paul is breaking from that mold. He's not answering a question, but he's telling them something that they need to hear. So not only does he answer questions, but he's teaching them. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or... Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. 
But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. That was a long passage, but we're going to break it up into sections. If you like following along in your bulletin, there's a note sheet. And if you're watching online with us, if you go to faithlife.com slash Dunkirk Baptist, you'll find the notes there as well. So first of all, we're going to see that Paul was entitled. Paul gives six clear reasons why he's entitled to be paid as a full-time minister of the gospel. And most of these apply to pastors today, except for the first one. The definition of an apostle is a person who met Jesus Christ on, I'm sorry, that is not correct. Forget my notes. The definition of apostle is someone who has met Jesus Christ in the flesh. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he answered Jesus' call to go out and be sent to preach and teach the gospel. That is what an apostle is, someone who has been sent and someone who has met Jesus Christ. So Paul claims that he is an apostle. He's the last of the apostles. No one alive today is a real apostle. Even though many pastors will claim that they're apostles, they will say that they had a vision, they say they went to heaven, they met Jesus, and then they believe that they have the authority to speak on God's behalf. I don't speak anything on God's behalf other than what God has already said. This is the complete word of God, and that's all I'm entitled to preach. I can't stand up here and say, God told you, Todd, God told me for you to build a bigger building, or God told me to tell you to do this or to do that. That is not a message from God, and people who claim that are falsely doing that. So Paul's question is, or Paul's statement is that he is entitled. And we hear about spoiled children today being entitled. They think that they deserve special treatment or having all of their demands met. You've heard this term, right? the entitled generation, and a lot of generations could probably be described that way. This is entitlement as in someone who is deserving what is coming to them. This is not the negative form of it. Paul's describing why he should be paid, and they're all valid biblical reasons. And the first of all thing that Paul says is, I'm the last of the apostles. Look at verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He's giving us the definition right there. And you are followers of Jesus Christ, and you're continuing in growing in your faith. You Corinthians are the seal. You're the authenticity of my apostleship. Not only was Paul able to preach and speak God's word, as he's writing this letter, it is literally God's word being communicated to him through the Holy Spirit, and he's writing it down. But he's also authenticating it 
through people getting saved, through people being healed, and those are some of those signs that were proven, proving that this person is speaking on God's behalf. That's another reason that we believe that those things are gone today, that those signs and wonders are gone because we don't, we're not apostles trying to prove that we're speaking on God's behalf. We have his completed word already. Galatians 1, Paul said, I know, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that is preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke and taught Paul directly, and that's the gospel he's preaching. And then later Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, he called me by his grace. Paul was called to be an apostle. He was called to preach the word. And here are some of the rites of the apostles. They have the right to eat and drink, to be fed. They have the right to be married like Cephas. That's another name for Peter. We know that Peter had a wife. He had children. He had a mother-in-law who was healed. And so churches that say pastors need to be unmarried and single, it's not a biblical concept. Paul is saying right here, here's an example of another apostle who is married. So Paul says, why is it okay for those other apostles to be paid? But not Barnabas and I, who are working for a living. They're tent makers. And they didn't take any money from the churches that they established. They didn't take any money from the people that they were preaching to. They said, let God take care of us. So first of all, Paul says, I'm entitled to be paid just like any other apostle. And secondly, in verse 7, we say that it's customary. Paul gives three examples of occupations and how they're paid. First of all, a soldier. Soldiers aren't expected to pay their own way. The army, the navy that they serve, feeds them, clothes them, houses them, and pays them. They're not expected to go fight for free. And a farmer planting a vineyard may be paid in literal fruit from his labor. And then a shepherd who's taking care of a flock of sheep or goats has the right to drink some of the milk from the flock. While he's out on the hillside taking care of them, he can have all the warm milk he wants. Who likes warm milk? Who's had milk straight from a goat that's warm? You're missing out. It is, it is uh, creamy and something. One sip was enough for me, though. In the first century, many of the occupations were paid in what they produced, what they grew. And that was just normal, like part of the bartering system. But there's also times where people were paid money. If you think about the parable where Jesus talked about the hired laborers going out into the fields at different times of the day, and they got paid different amounts. So there was coins there was money being paid to people for jobs, and then there was also just the goods and services that they were producing. This is customary. Paul is just giving another reason. If you work, you get paid. Next is God's law. Paul said, well, those are all human customs, but we also have the law of Moses, which came directly from God. And he quotes Deuteronomy 25.4, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. So who has ever seen an ox treading grain? 
I've seen pictures of it. Um, they were connected to a giant millstone. So you can picture a big round stone on the ground and then another round stone on top of it. And the oxen would be connected to that with a wooden bar and then braced to it. And they would walk in a circle. And they would walk around and around. And as they're walking, they're turning that top stone and someone is pouring grain into the center so that it gets ground up. And while the oxen is walking along and some of that grain falls on the floor, the oxen can scoop down and grab a mouthful and contentedly keep working. He's being paid for his labor, even an animal. Don't muzzle the oxen while he's working. And God uh, said, or Paul said, do you think God did that just for the benefit of the oxen? No, he's giving us a principle that people who are laboring should be paid. They should also share in the crop. So if you're out gleaning in the field and you don't even own the property, you have the opportunity to collect some of the food. And if you're sharing, if you're out collecting grapes for someone else, you are hoping and looking forward to being paid, to be able to share in that crop, being paid. Paul says, if you if we see you growing and we see you benefiting spiritually, is it too much for you to share material things with us? Paul is being pretty plain and simple in his words to them. It's pretty direct. That's verse 11 in case you're wondering where I am right now. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things? And then the ministry example in verse 13. Paul says, there's a universal pattern for all religious service. Those employed in the temple get their food from the temple. In Leviticus 8.31, Moses said to Aaron and his sons, boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting and there eat it. And the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. In case you're not an Old Testament scholar, Aaron and his sons were the priests who were serving in the temple, and God told the people to bring in meat to be offered up to God. He told them to bring in grain and bread, and the priests and those working in the temple shared in part of that food. They shall eat it. Also in Numbers 18.11, this also is yours, the contribution of their gift, all the wave offerings of the people of Israel. I have given them to you, and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. So not only was the, were the priests and those serving in the temple being cared for, but their families also shared in some of those things. They offered up a portion to God, and then God said, take a portion of that to care for your family. Because the priests and those serving in the temple were not allowed to own land. If you remember back to the Old Testament, each of the tribes was given land and the priests were basically just serving in the temple. They weren't out farming. They weren't out with a flock of sheep. They served in the temple and God said, you're going to be provided in this way through the offerings. And then even in pagan temples, as we saw last week with the food being offered up to idols, the priests had a share of the food offering. So no matter where you went, this was common for people in ministry to be serving. 
I skipped over verse 12. I apologize. Your example, we're going to go backwards. Paul says, you apparently don't have a problem paying other people who have ministered and served your church, so why wouldn't we have the same thing? Verse 12 says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? So Paul warned the churches about false teachers, which would come around preaching and then demanding to be paid. Paul said, look out for people who are in the church who are looking to make lots of money. He calls them false teachers. He calls them wolves dressed up like sheep. They look like they're part of the flock, but they're really ravenous wolves there to destroy and to take advantage of their position, to make a killing, if I can use that phrase. The gospel that today is called the prosperity gospel, where you see preachers stand up front with lots of bling and expensive suits and fancy cars and mansions and jets and golden toilets. Are they in it because they've been called to preach the word or are they in it for money? Don't listen to them and don't give to their ministries. But Paul said, you're paying people, so why wouldn't you pay us as we're sharing you sharing with you the real gospel. And then finally, we have Jesus' instruction. Paul cites Jesus as the ultimate authority, the example of paying those in ministry. When Jesus sent the 12 disciples out on their own to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, he said, don't take any extra money. You'll be taken care of. This appears in Matthew 10, in Mark 6, and also in Luke 10, 7, when he sent out 72 additional disciples out. Listen to this verse from Matthew 10. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. Don't go prepared with enough money to take care of your trip. Don't bring a bag for your journey or two extra tunics or sandals or a staff because the laborer deserves his food. According to Jesus himself, those employed in serving and preaching the gospel and in kingdom ministries are entitled to food, to lodging, and to pay. And Jesus gives the example of go to someone's house and if they'll take care of you, stay with them. Don't keep looking around for a better house and better lodging and a better meal. If someone's caring for you, be thankful and let them serve God in that way. Paul was clearly entitled to be paid for his travels. He was literally a missionary who was getting on a ship and going to um, foreign countries. He was crossing the sea over and over again. And he was covering all of those expenses himself. He was faithfully preaching the gospel. He was planting churches. And all of these ministries he was doing for the Lord. In the final verses of this passage, Paul tells the Corinthians why he ignores all of these things that he's entitled to enjoy. So verses 15 to 18, as we wrap up, we see Paul's boast. When you hear the word boast, what do you think of? Bragging. <laughs> Boasting, bragging is normally a sin, right? The Bible tells us not to highlight ourselves, not to puff ourselves up, not to make everybody say, look at me, look how great I am. This is a different kind of boast. 
Paul said, I haven't taken advantage of any of these things that I'm entitled to, and I'm not asking for anything now. Look at verse 15. I made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing to secure any such provision. I'm not writing to ask for you. In fact, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. What is he boasting about? He's honored that he can preach the gospel for free. He wants the Corinthians to hear that he's giving up his rights. He's giving up his liberties, these things that he's entitled to, all for their sake, for the sake of the gospel. Just as he wants them to give up some of their liberties and be willing for other believers to see their life and know that they are living a life that honors and glorifies God. And if something they're doing would offend or be a stumbling block for a weaker Christian, be willing to give that up, just as Paul is willing to give up any pay or food or lodging or anything. Paul's living out the example for them. You can hear that message from last week if you go to our website or if you go to YouTube, you can listen to that about our liberty in Christ. In these last three verses, Paul gives five reasons for his boast, for his joy in ministry. That's his boast, that he has joy in preaching the gospel. First of all, he says he was called by Jesus Christ to be a disciple, to be an apostle, to be a minister of the gospel, and he counted that a privilege and a joy. Verse 16, he says, if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Jesus called me to preach the gospel, to call people to respond to the good news, the free gift. And if I, Paul, received that message, how could I not share it with other people? I need to preach this message. You've heard people describe sharing the gospel as a blind person who was led to food so that they can share that with other people. The blind leading the blind. Someone who didn't know where they would find their freedom, didn't know where they would find life in Christ, and that they're now leading other people and desiring that they would also have the bread of life, that they would be fed, that they would have freedom in Christ, that they would be forgiven, that they would know God. And if you've received that gift, how could you not share it? This is not a gift that we keep and we lock up and put in a box and we bring home and bury it and hide it. It's a gift that we share with everyone else. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's our command, all believers. And then in Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Another thing that made Paul unique is that he really was the apostle that went out to the Gentiles. He went out across the seas to people who had never heard about Jesus Christ. The people right within Israel, the Jews, had heard about Jesus, claimed to be a Messiah. They heard that he'd been crucified. Some of them heard rumors that he maybe came back to life. And most of the disciples were just preaching to their own people. But Paul went out to the Gentiles, to the un-Jewish people, 
the non-Jews, and he shared the good news. And he said, I need to do this. There's nothing else I could do with my life. I need to preach the gospel. Verse 17, he views this as stewardship, something that he has that he has to share. For I don't do this out of my own will. Sorry, if I do this out of my own will, I have a reward. But if I don't do it out of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 to 7, Paul said, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul said this treasure of the gospel is just in a weak vessel, just, just regular people. And that's so that we can show that the glory all belongs to God. It's not about me, Paul says. It's not about Barnabas. It's not that we're great apostles, but we have a great message to share. We have to be stewards of what we've been given. We can't just keep it in a shelf, in a closet, hidden away. We have to go out and share it with other people. And then in verse 18, Paul says, my reward is that the gospel is free of charge. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. The gospel the good news about Jesus Christ is a free gift. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We can't earn our salvation. We can't work for it. We can't pay for it. If you remember, as Paul was traveling through cities, he had people come up to him and say, can we give you money? Can we buy this gift of salvation? We want to go out and heal people. We want to go out and share with people like you are. Here, here's some money. We want to buy it. And Paul said, no, no, you can't. This is not something for sale. It's a free gift. And there's the word boast again, so that none of us can boast. None of us can say, I earned this, or none of us can say, I donated enough money to get this. The gospel is free. And Paul said, my reward is that I could preach the gospel with absolutely no expectations to be paid. Just as people can't pay for their salvation, as they can't work for it, Paul wants to preach the gospel with no money being charged. And then Paul says, my boast, it's not really bragging, it's my joy. Paul experienced true joy in sharing the gospel freely with no expectations of receiving anything in return. Can you think of a time where you told your kids to go help a neighbor? And you said, you notice all the leaves in Mrs. McGillicuddy's yard? Why don't you go over and rake them? And if she wants to pay you, say, no thanks. I'm just doing this because we care about you. We love you. Your joy will be your reward. Doing something, not expecting anything at all. Doing something purely out of love and compassion. And Paul said, that is my joy, that I could share the good news of Jesus Christ and not even expect a return, let alone ask for any money. 
The false apostle in his day went around preaching and healing people, but then they said, okay, pass the hat, pay us up. And again, we see the same thing happening today, unfortunately, with healing services. They'll tell people, if you have enough faith and you have enough money, you can be healed. And the more faith and the more money you give, the better your fake miracle will be, unfortunately. Paul's boast was his joy. And then he set aside his right or his liberty. Paul reminds the Corinthians that here's another example of giving up your liberty, giving up your freedom in Christ for the sake of others. That's how the verse ends, verse 18. So as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. All of these things that I'm entitled to, all of these rights that I have to be paid, to be fed, to be cared for, I'm willing to give up all of these things because God's going to provide for me. And the people hearing the gospel are never going to equate money and the gospel. They're never going to think that if we give a good enough offering, maybe this guy will come back again. Paul is writing to them because he loves them, because he cares about them, and he said it has nothing at all to do with money. And that's why at First Baptist Church, right now after COVID, the offering is just a box in the back. You hear someone mention it once in announcements and say, oh, and by the way, if you're looking for the offerings, they're in the back. You can take care of that if you want to give a gift. And we'll usually say, Heather didn't say it today, but we'll say if you're here for the first time or you're a guest with us, we don't expect you to give anything. Those offering boxes are for our members, for our regular attendees. Can I talk about me for a minute? I told you I wasn't here to ask for a raise. <laughs> I am not an apostle. I'm not a missionary church planter like Paul, but I was called to serve God in full-time ministry. And First Baptist Church asked me, called me, to come be your pastor, to be your shepherd, to be your elder, to be your preacher. And I don't take that calling lightly. I'm not in this for the money. I didn't negotiate a salary or a benefits package, and I truly believe in Philippians 4.19. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Our church is generously supplying the needs for me and my family. That verse is not just for pastors. Listen to it again. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God is going to take care of your needs. He may not give you everything you want because that usually gets us into trouble, doesn't it? When we want more and more and we get those things, sometimes we work harder for them and then they start consuming us. They start becoming idols. They become things that pull our direction, pull our focus away from God, sometimes pulling it away from our family. God promises to take care of our needs. And the local church is responsible to take care of the needs of those serving in full-time ministry. And that means everyone gives something. Again, I'm not talking to guests. I'm not talking to people who are not here usually. But the reasons or expectations that Paul gave apply today, all except for the first one. I'm not an apostle, so 
I'm not getting paid because I'm an apostle, but all of the other things are still true. If you're a member of this church, and if you've come to the intro class, you've heard that we expect you as a member to support the church in prayer, to support the church in attendance, to support the church in serving, to be here in fellowship and in giving. The biblical principle for giving in the Old Testament was the tithe. And a lot of churches still say, now we're presenting our tithes and offerings. I don't use that word because it's not in the New Testament. It's still there as a principle. And the tithe was a 10% of your gross earnings. In the Old Testament, that was a command by God. But then there were also special offerings throughout the year. The first fruits and different holidays and different times when people would give. So 10% really was just the baseline, the minimum. In the New Testament, there are a number of times that money and giving is mentioned, but never the word tithe. There's references to the church, to followers of Jesus Christ giving freely, giving generously, but not under compulsion of the law, and specifically of the tithe. Listen to these verses, 2 Corinthians 9-7. For everyone must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's why you don't get a letter from First Baptist Church saying, guess what, we haven't received anything from you in the last month. Unfortunately, other churches do that. They send out letters saying, where's the money? When we were in Ireland, our local parish sent us a letter saying, welcome to Nafarbaha Galway. We expect you to pay at least $120 a month as part of the parish. Oh, thanks for letting us know. Deuteronomy 16.7 says, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. This is an Old Testament principle, but it still applies. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Matthew 6.4, Jesus said, So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There are churches that have the offering or a box up front where everyone publicly sees the gifts being given. And that's just like Jesus' description of the hypocrites who are ringing a bell and making a loud noise as they dropped their money in. And then the widow went quietly and put in her last mite. God loves a heart that is generous, that gives cheerfully, and is not there to have everybody else notice them. And that's part of why we're doing offering in the back, and nobody's watching that box, taking a list and checking off who gave and who didn't give. 1 Corinthians 16.12, here's a really specific direction from the Apostle Paul. On the first day of the week, what day is that? Sunday. Sunday. Each of you is to put something aside to store it up, as he may prosper. So as you've been blessed, give a portion of that so that there's no collecting going on when I come. The Apostle Paul was visiting these churches afterwards and he was collecting money not for himself, but for the Jews in Jerusalem, for the Christian brothers and sisters who were under oppression. They were being tortured, they were being thrown in jail, 
and the churches in Paul's ministry area took up a collection. And he said, take up a little bit each week so that when I get there, we don't have to have a collection and it's not looking again like I'm asking for money. Paul was very conscious of this. And he said, that is my blessing and my joy. I never want people to see my face and think, oh, here's Paul. He's asking for more money. So some quick takeaways. Do you believe that the gospel is a treasure to be shared with others? Who was the last person that you talked about your faith with? Think back. Who was that person and how long ago was it? Would you be willing to pray for opportunities to share the gospel? If you do, God will give them to you. You could even make a list of three people in your life, and you don't have to share this with anybody, but just make a list of three people that you want to share the gospel with and then pray faithfully that God would give you an opportunity to share with those people. And then as you share with them, you're beginning a conversation. It's not just a one and done. It's this is what I believe. This is why I go to church. This is why I have a new joy and new faith in Jesus Christ. Can I share that with you? And then you're going to continue sharing with that person or those people. Maybe you've been hurt by churches. You've been hurt by preachers where money was the focus. Don't believe the prosperity lie that God wants you to be wealthy. If you want to come up to me after the service or send me a text during the week and send me a Bible verse that says, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be debt-free, and you're never going to have another pimple or a problem in your life. If you can find that verse, I would like to see it. I haven't found it yet. And yet, the fastest growing church, if you can call it that, is the Prosperity Church. Not only here in the United States, where people love to see smiling preachers with big white teeth and bling on them. I, I saw a listing in the newspaper sometime last year that a preacher was robbed during the service and they took something like $100,000 worth of jewelry off of him. I have a ring and I have a cross. You're not going to get $100,000 off of me. Nothing against wearing jewelry, but if that's what you're promoting, like be like me and you're going to be wealthy. Follow Jesus the way I do and you're going to have a big car in the garage. You're going to have boats. You're going to have jets and a golden toilet. Who would want that? <laughs> if you've been hurt by people like that, then I'm really sorry. James said, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. If money becomes your focus, you're going to make so many mistakes with your life. You're going to hurt your family. You're going to hurt your relationship with God. You're going to hurt your children. It's just going to be disastrous if money is what you're all about. How could that possibly be our focus? Look back to Philippians where God says, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. You don't have to worry about it. Does that mean you don't go get a job and you don't show up every day? Yes, you do. That's how you get paid. But God said he's going to provide your needs. Are you committed to supporting our church on a regular basis based on what you earn? It should be proportional to your earnings. You heard all of those verses. You can go back and reread them. 
But God has blessed you, and you should give back something to the church based on that. This church does everything by a budget, which means we guess at how much we're going to spend in the coming year, and we look forward to supporting missionaries and doing outreach and all kinds of things, and then we just wait for the church family to give. And if we give, then we can do those things. And if we don't, then we don't do all of those things. That's how it works. You can come to the class and learn more about that, but you should be giving on a regular basis and not just every time you see the blue box and say, oh yeah, I haven't given in a while. Have you accepted the most important question of the day? Have you accepted the free gift of the gospel? You were born separated from God by your sin, and there's nothing you can do to fix that. There's nothing you can do to pay for that. There's nothing you can do to make God happy with you. God says that all of our good works are like filthy rags. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation because God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for us, to live a perfect life, a sinless life, and then to offer up himself as a sacrifice and say, you can't do this, but I can. My blood will be poured out for you. And as he died on the cross, he was paying for your sins. Every time I sin, Jesus died for that. If you think about the sins of your past, God says, I will forgive all of them. I will make them as far from the east as from the west. It's like I'm burying them at the bottom of the ocean. They are gone. Christ's righteousness is how you will be allowed into heaven, not your good deeds, not by giving to a church or giving to a local hospital or giving to the orphans. Those are all good things to do, but God says you can't earn your salvation because I don't want anyone to boast or brag and say, I got into heaven on my own shoestrings. Is that a thing? I don't know. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and he conquered sin and death so that would no longer have dominion and power and control over us. And Jesus said, I want to see you in heaven. I died so that you could be in heaven. Accept that free gift. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if your faith has always been in, how many good things can I do to please God? Then come talk to me after the service. I'd love to share with you how you can know for sure that Jesus Christ died for you and that you have a place waiting for you in heaven. He's not going to make you wealthy but he'll give you joy, he'll give you peace, and you have an eternity to look forward to. Mark's going to come, and we're going to sing a closing song. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his boast that he could say, I shared the gospel without asking for a single dime that he was able to show that you provided for him, that you cared for him, and that he was willing to work on the side just so that the gospel could always be free from any thoughts of money or payment. Thank you, God, for offering us the gift of salvation totally for free. And I pray that anyone this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, that hasn't accepted that gift, that today would be the day 
that they would trust you. And Lord, for those of us that know you, I pray that we would treasure this salvation and this gospel, not only in our hearts, but we would be willing to share it with everyone else, just as undeserving as we are to be saved by your son, Jesus Christ, that we would be willing to share it with everyone we come in contact with. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in doing that. I ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.